What I'm going to share with you today, I'm preaching at myself too, okay? Because I feel the Lord doing this in me right now. The title of this is Be Ready for His Coming. And how many know that the Lord Jesus really is coming? The Lord's coming. Let me say it again. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming. There's coming a day that I believe and I'm hoping to see myself. I think I will. God willing. The the skies are going to get parted and Jesus is going to appear in the clouds, coming in the clouds. How do I know this? Well, Acts 111, they also said, Men of Galilee, who do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who, who, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So the disciples, Jesus had brought them out to the Mount of Olives, and there he was taken up and into the clouds, and all the disciples are looking up because all of a sudden Jesus went up and now he's gone, and they're just looking. They don't know what to do, and they're standing there. And so angels appear, and they say, what are you doing staring into the sky? Don't worry. Jesus is going to come back just like you just saw him leave. So in the same way he left, he's going to return. Okay, Matthew twenty four thirty. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky with power and great glory. I'm going to read that whole chapter. Get ready for a heavy dose of Bible because I'm going to read a lot here because I think it's important. We need to have this thing fixed in our heart. It's important. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, why it's so important to have this one event that's going to take place in the future continually in our mind and in our hearts. I just read in Matthew 24, and we'll continue. I'm going to back up actually a little bit. Verse 25, Behold, I have told you in advance, so if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out, or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I can't say this is true or not true. I don't know, but it was a very interesting thought that I had never had. But Michael Blanchard, who we, who, who we just lost, he, one of the first things he told me was that he believed that video cameras were going to be the reason that the whole earth would see Jesus' return. I thought, well, that's interesting. I never really thought about it. I know that with God, all things are possible. If he wants to open up every person's eye to see from one end, he could do it. But in the natural, how does that happen? I don't know. But Jesus promised that every eye would see him. And it could be that video, it could be that video cameras are going to receive, are going to capture this and it would be broadcasted all over. It's possible. Or it could be that, you know, the Lord just does it supernaturally. I don't know, but I know it's going to happen. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Man, we need some powers of the heaven to be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He ain't just coming with glory, he's coming with power. Power and glory. 
And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. So basically, Jesus is saying, just like you can tell when a fruit tree is about to bear fruit or whatever, you, you can know when the Lord's coming. Now, we know from Scripture that no man knows the day or the hour, but as to the timing, we are not uh, in the darkness, Paul says, that we're of the light, so we will know when he's coming. That whole thing, you, you can't know when Jesus is coming, that's false. That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's not true. Jesus said you won't know the day or the hour. You can't say, hey, it's going to be Monday at 3.30. But as to the season of his coming, Jesus says right here, you will know it. Okay? So just like the parable of the fig tree, where people could tell when it's, the leaves are coming for, you know that summer is near, you know that summer is coming based upon the trees and what they're doing. You know, when they start getting their foliage back, okay, you know what's coming. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass, pass away until all these things take place. He's referencing what I believe is the church, the, the, the believers of the body of Christ. There will always be believers until his coming. That generation, the generation of Christ, I have... I don't have time to go into why that I believe he's talking about that because that's a whole other message on Matthew, and, but, but that's what I believe he's talking about. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of the day and hour, no one knows, no one, will, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son of Man, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah." For as in the days of Noah, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore... This is very important. Whenever you see a therefore, you want to look what it's there for. Okay? It's like, a, it's like a sign. It's saying, hey, pay attention. Therefore, be on the alert. Why would he warn? I'm going to get into this a little bit more, but you'll see in the scriptures that be on the alert is a common phrase that is repeated over and over and over and over again. And there's a reason why. Because our natural tendency is to be asleep. It's natural to get tired and to fall asleep. But the Lord says, be alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. 
and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and sign him to a place with the hypocrites and the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, first of all, I believe you know, Scripture can have dual, or well, it's a lot more than dual, but it has many applications. And sometimes the Lord, and you can see this in Scripture, how in the Old Testament there would be a passage of Scripture that's referencing an event in that time, but the Lord would also pull from that same Scripture to, to prophesy about something that was to come later. So it had multiple meanings. In the same way, all Scripture, there's usually layered truth in it. And so I believe that for us, what I just read, part of that is that you don't know the day in which you're going to die. You don't know the hour that you're going to meet your master. But I also think it's true, and the general context is, is you don't know what day the Lord's coming. So whatever it is, we should be alert, and if we're alert, we'll be doing what the Father wants us to be doing. When we're not alert, when we're asleep, we get focused on what we want to do. And that's what the lazy slave, it says right here, he became, he was a lazy slave, and he said, ah, he's not coming for a while, I got time to... I got time to do what I want, you know? And there's a tendency for us all to do that, to be honest with you, to get focused on other things. I'm going to come back to right where we left off later on, I believe, and talk about the ten virgins because I think this is a very, very, very important season that we're in, and the ten virgins are going to be very key to us understanding some things. But I want to first just look at, he said that Jesus picked... The days of Noah, now he could have picked any time in history to correlate to his second coming, but he didn't. He picked the days of Noah. Why? Why? What, what's so important about the days of Noah that he would use that particular man and that particular time in history to reference when his return would be? Why is that? Well, I think there's a couple things to, to recognize. When you dig into the days of Noah, if you're ever interested in digging, I could encourage you. I think the uh, book of Enoch is an important book to look at. A lot of people, it's not scripture. It's not, it's not a part of the 66 books of the Bible that we believe are scripture. But it is quoted by those books. And so there's a lot of insight that you can gather. I, I read books that aren't scripture, and I glean from them. You know, I glean from them. They're not scripture, but I can still glean from them. And in the same way, I think the book of Enoch is one of those books that is worth looking at. It gives us insight into a lot of things that we might not would understand. But one thing that you can see from the book of Enoch is the violence that was going on in Noah's day. They had some weird stuff going on. The Bible references it in Genesis chapter 6. It talks about how the the sons of God, or, or in other word, angels, came down and looked upon the daughters of men, and they went into them to bear offspring. So now there's like this, this is a weird story. And if you've never thought about it or looked at it very closely, let me just tell you, there's some weird things in the Bible. There's some weird things. There's some things that make you go, what? But there were spiritual beings, spiritual angels that left 
their proper abode, and we, hear, we look at that in Jude where it says it talks about they left their proper abode, and they came down and they, they begot children through the daughters of men. They took women and, and married them, had offspring, and those offspring were called the Nephilim. They were half, um, they were half angel, angelic, and half human, and those were called the giants of their day. Okay, so there was giants in the land. They were called Nephilim. They were half-breeds, half-human, half-angelic. Genesis chapter 6, I'm not making this up. (laughs) This is in the Bible. And you also learn from the book of Enoch the things that these angelic beings taught men. They taught them how to get copper and metals out of the mountains so that they could make weapons of war, and they taught them war. They taught them witchcraft. That's where witchcraft came from. If you ever wonder about what, where witchcraft come from, it's kind of a weird thing, but it's something that God forbid over and over in the Scripture that sorcerers would die in, under the law, you know, under the law of Moses. If you were an Israelite living in the glory of God and you began to practice divination or sorcery, it was commanded to stone those people because it was such an offense to God. It was accessing illegal spiritual authority that God never intended man to operate in outside of being dependent upon him because men in their unredeemed state would use that power in a way that's, that's wicked and wrong. Which, but the angels taught them that. They taught them a bunch of other things. Violence was one of the main things. The other thing was rampant sin. Sin was crazy. It was immorality to very high extremes, homosexuality, bestiality, you name it, it was being done. It was a wicked time to live. And Jesus compared his coming to those days. Hmm, what's going on in the world today? What's going on? I mean, you got, you got rampant sin in the world today. Things that nature says are wrong, I mean, nature, you know, the, we, the, our founding fathers used this phrase, the, the laws of nature and nature's God. So they're referencing the created order and how, you know, the creation is very clear. You know, I mean, when I, when I began to teach my children about sex and about things and that they were experiencing, unfortunately, and hearing about and seeing at school, I had to address homosexuality and all kinds of other stuff. And my kid's response was, that don't make sense. It doesn't work. She was talking about the parts. They don't go together. And I'm like, yes, baby, you get it. <laughs> uh, you get it. But my point is, is that there is some wicked things that are being pushed on this generation. Every time you turn the TV on, you're seeing either sex outside of marriage, promiscuity, lust. They're pushing the LGBTQ agenda on with steroids every time they can. You cannot turn on a show that's done with the world without having that pushed in the agenda. You can't. Why is that? Because Satan hates the way God designed Adam and Eve in the beginning. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to the wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He hates, they were made in the image of God, and Satan hates that, and he's trying to distort that in every way. And we are in rampant, crazy sin today. The other thing is that there was an ark that was being built. I mean, can you imagine seeing this big old boat being built? 
And there had never, rain had never fell on the earth in that, at, prior to that point. The God watered the earth from the mist that came up from the ground. And so there had never been rain, and here this boat is, and these people are watching it, but Jesus says they're giving, they're giving, they're, you know, they're, they're drinking, so they're getting drunk, they're, they're just eating, they're consumed with their own life. They're just doing their own life. They're seeing this crazy man build a boat, and they don't stop to say, well, what is going on? What's going on with this guy? Why is he building this crazy boat? This is a big thing. They were so consumed with their own life that they missed the very vessel that God had prepared to save eight people and to start a new beginning. Just a little side note, it says that uh, Noah was perfect in his generation. If you look at that in the Hebrew, he's saying that his bloodline was pure. He wasn't mixed. So if you're wondering why, what God's talking about, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he was not saying that Noah was a perfect man. Noah got drunk. You know, the Bible says, you know, do not be uh, drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. He clearly was a drunkard, you know, and uh, he was not a perfect man in the sense that he was without sin. His bloodline was pure. He wasn't mixed with these fallen angels. So... This is deep stuff. The book of Jude talks about it. So verse 39 says, And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all the way. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. They didn't understand what Noah was doing. They were clueless. They did not understand. Why? Because they didn't want to. They didn't stop to ask questions. They didn't stop to go pursue it. They were just consumed with watching their TV, obviously they weren't watching their TV, but I'm trying to make this connect with us, watching their TV, doing their daily deal, going to work, you know, taking care of stuff, which is all this is stuff that we have to do, you know, but just being consumed with it that you never stop to look outside of the daily life. I'm going to tie this together in a minute, so stay with me. I want to go back to this probably, but Matthew 13, 22. This is Matthew 13. This is the parable of the sower. How many are familiar with the parable of the sower? Is that okay? It's pretty much everybody? All right. So the Son of Man went sowing the, the seed, and the seed fell on different types of soil. There was only one soil that produced a, a return, which was 30, 60, 40, and that was good soil. He explains that there was different types of soil. There was rocky soil that had no root, and when the heat came, or that would be persecution or trials, they fell away. But then there was, there was thorns. The thorns, he said, choked the word and made it unfruitful. So the seed that fell in the thorns, and he goes on to say that these thorns were the cares of this world and the desire for other things and desire for riches. One of the quickest ways for us to lose the passion that God wants us to live with is by allowing the cares of the world, which everyone has, to begin to dominate us and set a priority that, that drives our life. As Christians, we're not to live that way. There is a drive... We have, to, we have cares of the world. We have to pay the bills. We have to go to work. There's things that we do. But the Lord doesn't want that to become such a priority that we stop pursuing the main thing, which is Matthew 6, 33. 
Matthew 6.33 shows us that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be added unto us. Food, clothing. We're to live in a different way to where when we um, pursue him and put his desire first, he promises to take care of all those needs. But sometimes we get consumed trying to take care of all those needs, and then we stop putting him first. You know, have you ever heard someone tell you, well, I can't go to church, I got to work. I mean, there's nothing wrong with working on Sunday. I ain't got a problem with that. As long as you know it's the Lord for you at that moment, maybe that's your mission field on Sunday, that's possible. But where are you connected to your body? If it's just, hey, I got to work, so I'm setting work as a higher priority than being connected to the body, that's wrong. That's messed up. Now, if God's calling you to do that for a particular reason, and you're connected to the body in another way, maybe a home group on Wednesday or whatever it is, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not putting this under the law. I'm just saying, you know, when we set our priorities based on what our needs are rather than what God desires, we have idolatry going on. When our desire or when our needs are driving our ship, we got, we got something wrong. God spoke our desire for the Lord and to do his will is supposed to be driving what we're doing, not uh, our need. We're never to live out of need because God, what does the scripture say? He promised that he would provide all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But do you believe it? All right. So what I'm getting to and where I'm going with this, and I'm going to have to do it quick, is there is a natural thing that tends to happen to us where when, we're, when we get involved in life, there's a tendency to lose our passion, to stop being consumed with the desire to see him, to know him, to experience him, to love him. It's a natural thing that happens to all of us as if we're not careful. And I'm in this place where the Lord is awakening something in me, and I believe the Lord is, is really... Um, trying to awaken his bride. But if you want to, you can turn over to Revelations 22, verse 17. I'm going to read this. You know what will be a telltale sign of the Lord's return? I can tell you, one of the, the telltale signs is when there is a bride that is so hungry to be with him that they can't take it no more. Then you know he's coming. Now, how do I know that? Revelations twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears says, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. There is a place that the, where the, the bride and the spirit have become joined in this one cry for the bridegroom to come. You know, there are moments in my life where I have been so passionate for the Lord, so hungry for him, that I just want to be with him, that I am in love with him. But then there's other times when you begin to, your heart begins to grow cold, and you may not even mean to. You may be still going through the motions of doing, like you wake up and you, you still go and you read your Bible and you still pray and you psalm and you're, you're still going to church, but there's just something that is not, on fire, where you're not just consumed with wanting to be with him. And that can happen to all of us. 
And so I would ask you, when you start thinking about the Lord coming back, what is your heart saying to you? Are you excited about that thought? Does it cause you to grow in in anticipation? Or does it make you say, I'm not ready for that. You know, I still want to do this and I still want to do that. I still got this going on. If you're saying that, no condemnation. We're all, you know, we've all been there. I've been there. But that's not where we're supposed to be. Scripture says to set your mind on things above, not on things below. And if our first response in, his, in, in thinking about his coming is not this passionate love and excitement to be with him, then I think we're missing it. We're not seeing him as he is because when you see him, when the eyes of your heart open up and you see him as you is, how can you not want to be with him? Because he is altogether lovely. Jesus Christ is the most wonderful gift that God has ever given man. All things were made by him, for him, and through him. He is the glory of God. And to desire him is our normal response when you see him the way he is. And the Lord wants our eyes of our heart to be open to where we may not see him physically, but with the eyes of our heart, there is a desire for him and you can see him and you want to be with him. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, I have fought the good fight. This is Paul talking about going home. He, He knew his time was up. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Think about that. To all those who have loved his appearing. I'm just going to ask the question, and, and, I, and like I told you from the beginning, I'm preaching to myself. I, wanna, I, I realize I've gotten a little bit cold lately. Am I looking for his coming? Not out of escapism, not out of that kind of stuff, but out of a desire to be with him. The older I get, the more heaven is attractive to me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's not like you got, you're wanting to leave. I mean, I'm not trying to leave the earth. I'm not like, hey, let's go. I'm just saying the, there is something incredible waiting for us to such an extent that Paul wrote that we're to set our mind on those things. Those things were above, where Christ is seated. He's seated right now in the heavenly places, and we're to set our mind on those things because they're so wonderful. And we've been given that promise in First John that as we set our mind on him, we are purified just as he is pure. When we see him as he is, and the Lord wants us to, to, to be in that place. He wants us to love him as the number one goal of our life, to be in love with him, to love him, and to pursue him. So I want to read a few, few more scriptures. I'm going to go through them real quick. So hold on tight. Don't, uh, you don't have to turn there. But I just wanted to kind of give us, a, give us an idea of what, how much the scripture says about this. For our citizens, Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you waiting for him? Are we waiting for him? Are you looking for him? That word wait is, is more than wait. It's like hope and wait and longing. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, so that you are not lacking any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the revealing of the Lord. 
Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Are you looking for him? 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, whom rescues us from the wrath to come. Jude one twenty one. keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now this I love because this, I think, is that telltale sign where we're coming in unity with the Spirit and we're beginning to long with all our heart to be with Him. Romans 8.23, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemptions of our body. There's a, there's a, there's a, a groaning that, that the Spirit is producing in those that are awake. Second Peter 3.12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements with melt with intense heat. You know, we're looking for, are looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord. And then Luke 12, 36, but be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Now, I have learned something that I've just learned this. I could take, I don't have, I'm not going to take the time right now because, because we don't have it, but, but I've taught on this before and there is a direct correlation between being alert and prayer. You can, I could take you through a, a, you know, 20 scriptures that reference a correlation between being awake and your prayer life. If your prayer life gets cold, you will automatically slowly begin to slumber. I mean, you can kind of see a picture of this in when Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane and he's, he calls Peter, James, and John and he says, come away and pray with me. And he says, keep watch. And what happens, same thing that happens to most of us, is that we come to that place where we're like, man, I'm getting sleepy. Oh, I can hold, you know. I, you know, there's been times the Lord's woke me up in the middle of the night to go pray. And, you know, I'm like, you know, and I'm dragging out of bed. I'm like, I'm not, you know, I go and I sit in my office and I start praying, oh, Lord, I just love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Here I am, Lord, I'm obeying you. And I wake up an hour later <laughs> with a crick in my neck. <laughs> uh, I can understand what Peter, James, and John went through, you know, and he comes back to him. He says, can you not watch with me for one hour? There is a lot of symbolism and a lot of wordage that is used in the New Testament to reference that same picture of us falling asleep. Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and position, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. 1 Corinthians 16.13, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, uh, Luke 21, 34 through 36. This is a good one. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. You know, when he starts talking about that drunkenness, that's not just drinking and getting drunk. There's a 
there's an aspect to which when we allow the cares of this world to weigh us down, we spiritually become drunk. We're not sober. We're not alert. We're weighed down. That's what he says here. Weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, which brings depression. Depression, that result of depression, is that place where we're allowing the worries of life to... To, but the, the scripture says to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time, casting all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. We're not to be carrying those weights. We're supposed to cast them on him. That's pride when we carry those kind of worries because we're saying, God, I, you can't handle this for me. I'm going to have to somehow take care of this from my, my own strength. That's what worry is. I can't trust you, God, to do this for me. I'm going to have to take care of this. Worry is sin. It's not trusting God to be your good father. He said, I will provide all your needs. Did he mean it or not? Does that mean you're going to go through perfect life and never have some opportunity to doubt? No. Your trials and tribulations are the way you're going to grow in faith. But nevertheless, he's with us in the midst of it, and he's always going to take care of us. So be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and worries of life. That day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all all those who dwell on the face of all the earth, but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I'm going to tell you, there is a spiritual thing that will take place when you, when you begin to give yourself to prayer. And when I'm saying praying, I'm not talking about like just, I'm talking about getting in communion with the Lord where you begin to have that intimate relationship with him and you're getting in communion with the Lord through worship and prayer and talking to him, making him your best friend, where you're hanging and you just learn to sit before him like Mary who just sat and waited for it to hear his words. When you begin to get into that place, there is a spiritual transition that now you're standing before the Son of Man. And there is a sense in which that through that prayer, what Jesus says here, but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place. Strength to escape all these things that are coming on the earth. How do you escape the worry and the stuff that we see is going around us in the world? You begin to pray. You begin to get with the Lord, and you will see that that prayer place, that place of alertness will transition you into a place where you're now, I'm no longer standing before these problems. I'm standing before the Lord. When I'm communing with him and in that place in the spirit, I am now before the Lord Jesus and he is who I'm standing before. And when you're in his presence, these worries don't mean nothing. They don't compare to the one whom we're standing before. And so it gives us strength to escape those things that are coming on the world. One uh, important thing that Paul left with was in, in Acts 20. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among, you, 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 from among your own selves, men will rise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not s- cease to admonish each one with tears. The call to alertness is something that God has over and over again given us warning about in Scripture. And it is key that we listen to it because what happens is 
when we don't, we automatically fall into a place of slumber. We get disconnected from the Lord, and we're missing out on the very thing that God wants us to do. Here's what I'm wanting. Here's what I'm desiring from all this. This is, I'm going to speak for my own self. And y'all decide if you want to jump in with me. I want to live my life where I wake up in the morning and the first thought in my head is him. And the last thought that goes through my mind when I lay my head down to go to sleep is him. And where he is on my mind all day long, where I'm consumed with him, because I'm in love with him, I see him, I'm longing for him, I'm in that place of communing with him, so that I can say with all honesty that I am longing for the day that he returns. He's coming back for a bride who is desiring him, who's come in alignment with the Spirit, and they say the Spirit and the bride say come. Does that make sense? That's what I want to be. Now, I'm not there all the time. I'm not, but I want to be. And so we can cry out to the Lord to say, Lord, give us grace to live life differently. Give us grace to live alert and on fire so that we're longing for him and everything. That's the work of the Spirit. I can't make that happen. Even preaching a message doesn't all, and us listening to it doesn't do it in of itself. We need the grace of God working in our life, but we need to do, we need to act on it. Put him number one, whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it. Get up in the morning and spend time with him. Allow him to transform your desires. You know, Lord, take away any desire that cools my love for you. Take away anything in my life that cools my love for you. Lord, I want to be on fire for you. I want to long for your coming. When, when I start thinking about that day when the sky was split open and you returned, I want to be excited because I'm, in, I'm lovesick for you. And Lord, I can't do that without a work of your spirit, but I'm giving you permission to do it in me. And I'm saying, Lord, remove anything that cools that. Anything, Lord, I give you permission to burn up anything that's causing me to not to to love you less or to cool my love for you. So Lord, come and help us to, to live that way alert, devoted to prayer, devoted to you, that we wouldn't be consumed with just the cares of this world, the things that we're, we have to do in this life, but, our, but instead we're consumed, Lord, with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Allow yourself to, to the Lord to wake you up. That's what he's doing to me. He's waking me up. Wake up. Wake up, oh, you sleeper. Wake up, oh, you sleeper.